0: Good morning. Take your scriptures and go to Genesis, the fourth chapter. Genesis chapter 4. Again, we're in this series of messages entitled Questions in the Bible. Thus far, we've taken a look at the very first three. The first being from the mouth of the serpent, Genesis chapter 3, when the serpent asked Eve, Did God really say? And he attacked the authority. Of God's Word. We looked at the second question in the Bible, which came from the mouth of God when He asked Adam and Eve, where are you? Well, they were hiding among the trees in the garden because they had sinned and eaten the forbidden fruit, and sin always separates you from God. But was God possibly asking Adam more than just his physical location? If God asks you, where are you, and he's not asking for your physical location, how would would you answer him? The third week, last week, we looked at a third question in the Bible, again from the mouth of God, as he asked Adam, who told you that you were naked? And again, was God asking more than what the question asks at face value? Was God possibly asking, who told you that you're not worthy? Who told you that you're not good enough? Who told you that you can't be forgiven for what you've done? Who told you that you have no value? Who told you that you don't matter? Who told you that God could never love you after what you've done? Satan. Those are Satan's lies. God loves you so much, he sent his son to die on the cross to save you from your sins. And forgiveness is possible so don't believe satan's lies god gave his son for you and that's how much you're worth to god now there were consequences for their sin after god made garments of skin for adam and eve to be covered he then banished them from the garden of eden to work the ground from which adam had been taken adam then named his wife eve because she would become the mother of all the living so today we take another step further in history here to Genesis chapter 4, and we're going to look at the first 16 verses today. It says, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now there are about six questions in that text that we read. I hope you saw them. Five of them are asked by God, one of them is asked by Cain. God's five questions were, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Where is your brother Abel? What have you done? And Cain's one question, am I my brother's keeper? So Adam and Eve, they began to build a family. Two sons are born to them the first being Cain. His name means metal worker or smith, like blacksmith. It's also a derivation of a word meaning to acquire. Eve said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth or acquired a man. Later, she gave birth to Abel, whose name means breath or vanity, certainly descriptive of the short span of life and It's tragic end, which he experienced at the hands of his brother. Were they twins? Well, there's nothing in the text to indicate that. It says later she gave birth to Abel, but some still believe that they were twins. Verse 2 also tells us Abel kept flocks, Cain worked the soil. Folks, there was nothing wrong with either one of those two occupations. Genesis 3.18 said that you will eat the plants of the field. Adam himself was to work in the Garden of Eden, tend the garden and take care of it. So there's nothing wrong with Cain being a keeper or a tiller or a worker of the soil, just as there was nothing wrong with Abel being a keeper of sheep and goats. But then you come to verse 3 of the text. Both Cain and Abel bring offerings to the Lord. Who told them to do that? See, there's no command in the scripture prior to this that, that tells you to do that. But do you not think that God had told Adam, here's the way that, that, that you can acceptably worship me, and that this was a part of worship of God, things that he had commanded to Adam. And so we see here the beginning of Sacrifice. What is the essential element of sacrifice? Yeah, is it not the shedding of blood? God shed the blood of innocent animals and providing coats of skin for Adam and Eve to wear after their sin, in a sense, covering their sin in that way. But here we see the first account of sacrifice as a divine institution as Cain and Abel bring their sacrifices to God. And what's the result of their sacrifices? God, we're told, accepted Abel and his offering, but he rejected Cain and his offering. What form that acceptance and rejection took, I don't know. I don't know if God audibly spoke to them and said, your sacrifice is acceptable, Cain, or that he, he told Abel. Or, or Abel. <laughs> I'll get my men mixed up here. Abel, your sacrifice is acceptable. Cain, yours is it. I don't know what form that took. But the obvious question that comes to our mind here is what? Why? Why did God accept Abel's offering and reject Cain's offering? Some say that it was because Abel offered the firstlings of his flock. He gave God the very best that he had whereas Cain didn't bring the very best that he had. Cain may have simply brought something as a token that he was grateful for services received like like tipping the waiter at the restaurant, okay? Others say that Abel's offering was accepted because it was a blood offering, whereas Cain's offering was just the fruit of the ground and no blood involved. But then someone will say, "Oh, but wait a minute, The law hasn't been given yet. It's going to be hundreds of years before Moses climbs Mount Sinai and receives the Ten Commandments and receives all the words of the law that taught about all these different sacrifices. God hadn't said anything about that yet. Are you sure? Are you sure? Don't be so sure that God hadn't already given a law about sacrifice. Now why do I say that? Well, the answer to the question of why God accepted Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's is given in the New Testament. We don't have to guess why. We are told why. The answer is found in Hebrews 11, verse 4, which says, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith. He was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith he still speaks, even though he is dead. That's why God accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's. Abel's was offered by faith. Cain's was not. But how is faith acquired? How does a person come to have faith? Well, in only one way, insofar as, as the Scriptures inform us, Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing the word of God. And so if Abel was motivated by faith in presenting his offering to God, then it necessarily follows that the offering was in harmony with the divine word which he had heard from God or from his father Adam that had received it from God which simply means that the law of sacrifice had already been divinely given. The law of sacrifice has already been made clear to Adam and Eve, and therefore down to their children. And Abel heard what God had said, and he did it. By faith, he offered a better sacrifice than Cain. Cain, on the other hand, knowing God's word, didn't do it. He didn't do it. And so thus it follows that God accepted Abel's offering because Abel obeyed the divine law of sacrifice in presenting a blood offering. Cain, on the other hand, he disobeyed God's word. Abel received the testimony of God that he was righteous. Cain did not. A righteous person desires to obey God's word at all times. And this is what we see in Abel. But we don't see it in Cain. Cain put his own will... And his own way of doing things above God's will and God's way of doing things. So what could a just God do except reject his offering? And so we see that God's acceptance of Abel's offering and his rejection of Cain's offering was not just some arbitrary act on God's part. No, they were their offerings were simply proofs of the interior state of their hearts respectively. The great difference was this. Abel offered in faith, and Cain didn't. So Cain was very angry. His face was downcast, and that sets the stage for God's questions beginning in verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. So God questions Cain. Now remember, when God asks a question, the answer is for our benefit, not his. He doesn't need the information. We do. He already knows everything. So, Cain, why are you angry? Well, God is trying, just as he still does for us today. He's trying to get into the heart of Cain and reason with him concerning the attitude of his heart and the foothold to sin that he was allowing to grow. You see, if Cain could see clearly where he was spiritually and understand truly why he was upset, then there was still a chance. God was giving him time to confess and make it right before it was too late. And so in essence, God is saying, Cain, think about this. Retrace your steps. Change your offering and do what I've commanded. Do what is right. Rule over this beast of sin that threatens you. If you do what is right, your offering will be accepted. But as is so often the case, the warning went unheeded. And Cain refused. And listen, God's words to Cain carry a warning to each of us. Don't get mad when God blesses someone else that does what he tells them to do. Don't get mad when God blesses someone that is living in obedience to his word. Learn from it. And you do it right the next time. And all will be good. How many times do we get angry and blame others for our own spiritual problems? I can tell you that in my years of experience being a preacher, I've seen people bounce from church to church to church and they get mad and angry wherever they go. And they never realize they are the problem. Don't be angry with other Christians. It's not their fault if you're not walking according in accordance to the word of God. And just as God did for Cain, he always gives us an opportunity to explain why that we're acting the way we are, even though he already knows the reason behind it. He just wants us to admit the truth to ourselves. But Cain refused. Cain was wrong in what he was doing. He wasn't admitting that he was wrong. Instead, he was kind of following the example set by his father and mother when they sinned in the garden, and he's trying to put the blame on someone else. And Cain never answers the questions. Why are you angry? Why are you downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? He doesn't answer a single one of those questions. He had a big attitude problem. And it was on the verge of destroying his life, and he wouldn't admit it. He was so mad. And God clearly lays out Cain's options for him. If you do what is right, will you too not be accepted? Rhetorical question, the answer is what? Yes. Yes. Yes, if you do what is right, but if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at the door ready to spring on you. And if you allow that to happen, it's going to devour you. You must master it by doing what is right. And God's trying to convince Cain that either he must take control of his anger or his anger is going to take control of him. Now let's face it, we've all been there, right? We want to do something that still small voice inside of us says, don't do it. You'll regret it. Don't do it. But we ignore it and we go ahead and do what we want. And then later on when it blows up in our face, we want to blame God or someone else instead of placing the blame where it belongs, on ourselves. Just like Cain, God gives us a chance to come to our senses, to repent and change our attitude and everything will be forgiven. And listen, the Holy Spirit will always ask us questions. It will always show us the way out before it's too late. And yet far too often we simply ignore him and blow right past him in our rush to sin. Anger is a strong emotion. And emotions aren't easy to control and they can make it hard to see clearly. And it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome and help us see the truth. But if we listen closely, the Holy Spirit asks us the same questions. Where are you? Why are you angry? Why are you downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? I think we all need to memorize 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The Apostle Paul writes, No temptation has seized you, Except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Every single time that sin is crouching at the door, God provides a way out for us if we'll look for it and take it. Every time. Every time. There's always a way of escape. We don't have to give in to temptation. We can do what is right. And the decision is ours. But if you follow your emotions and allow them to master you, I guarantee you, you will sin. Just like Cain. Cain's anger burned to the point that he couldn't see the truth. He couldn't see the way of escape. It was there. God presented it to him. God told him to do what was right. And Cain refused. And you know the result. Verse 8. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Killed him in the field. In the open country. Maybe thinking he'd be safe from anyone finding out, but... God knew, of course. So, God's counsel, God's urging had failed to set Cain on the right path. That wild beast of sin that was crouching at the door of Cain's heart sprang upon him, and the tragic deed was done. First degree murder of his brother. His rage became a consuming fire within him that caused him to thirst for his brother's blood, and thus the first child born upon this earth, became the first murderer. And the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied, "Am i my brother's keeper. The Lord said, what have you done? Where's your brother Abel? You ever stop to think, where was Cain when God asked him that question? Is he still standing by his dead brother's body? Well, I wouldn't think so. C.C. Crawford, in his commentary on the book of Genesis, says this no doubt took place at the customary place of sacrifice and at the time of the next offering. And that here's Cain coming, bringing an offering. And God says, where's your brother Abel? Can't prove that. But in any case, God's question was designed to go straight to Cain's conscience. It was designated to bring Cain back to the truth of his situation. Cain, where is your brother? And Cain's response was a lie. And he knew it was a lie. I don't know. And then he lied to himself. Am I my brother's keeper? (laughs) He knew. And he lied to God. And lying to God is so stupid. (laughs) And yet we do it all the time. His first lie was to God. I don't know. His second lie to himself. And that, am I my brother's keeper? That is a question of universal significance. And one that must be answered in some way by every man and woman that God has created. Am I my brother's keeper? What's the answer? Yes. Absolutely we are. Now admittedly no man is the absolute keeper of his brother. So is to be responsible for his safety when he's not present, which I think is what Cain meant to insinuate. But every man is his brother's keeper when it comes to laying hands of violence upon his brother himself, or when it comes to someone else laying hands of violence upon his brother. God has a right to demand that of everyone. But Cain's reply shows he's a liar that has no feeling and no justice and no love for his brother. 1 John three twelve. Says, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brother's were righteous. Well, God knows that his attempt to arouse self examination in Cain hasn't worked out one bit. Cain shows himself to be absolutely corrupt, even to the point where he totally rejects God's love and mercy and patience. And then God asks, What have you done? This is one of those places in the Bible I've told you about before where I wish we could hear the tone of voice. How did God ask that question? Did he say, what have you done, Cain? Did he say, what have you done? Again, C.C. Crawford in his commentary on Genesis says God thundered these words. What have you done? or whatever thundering sounds like in that matter, okay? But he's trying to show Cain the sheer enormity of the path of sin that Cain had chosen to pursue. And Cain's response is one of self-pity. He had not been honest with himself or with God by facing up to the facts. He's like, he's saying, God, you're not being fair to me. You're not treating me fairly. you You're being unjust with me. It's it's like the cry of a spoiled brat that's getting what he deserves. So did Cain's sin take him further than he wanted to go? Oh, it sure did. It took him away from family and away from the presence of the Lord. Did it cost him more than he wanted to pay? Oh, it sure did. He had been a tiller of the soil, and now God would no longer allow the soil to produce for him. Did it keep him longer than he wanted to stay? absolutely as far as we know it kept him the rest of his life there is no evidence in the bible that cain ever repented and i think it's in the book of jude that we are warned don't take or go the way of cain so how do we apply this message today well i don't think it's all that hard to figure out when sin is tempting us when it's crouching at our heart's door We better be looking for the way of escape that God always provides and take that. James 4, 7 says to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So don't give in to Satan. You resist him and you take the way of escape that God provides. Don't let temptation and sin master you. I think it's easy to see that lesson. But I also want you to consider Cain's question. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Absolutely we are, especially when it comes to salvation issues. I heard a story about a guy that applied for a job as an usher at a movie theater. And as a part of the interview process, the manager asked him, what would you do in case a fire breaks out? And the young man answered, oh, don't worry about me, I can get out fine. He didn't get the job. And yet that's exactly how way too many Christians respond to a lost and dying world around them. You heard in Larry's called to worship about the fiery judgment, unprecedented, that will take place when the Lord returns. and this present heaven and earth will be destroyed by intense heat. And, and, and if, you ask to, uh, if you ask a lot of Christians, what would you do if that happens tomorrow? They would respond, oh, don't worry about me. I can get out fine. And we forget the fact, folks, that we're ushers. It's not enough just to get out yourself. You're responsible for helping others know the way so that they'll be fine too. It's so easy to point our finger at Cain and secretly we're answering the same questions in the same way. God asks us, where is your brother? You fill in the blank. You fill in the name. And we say, I don't know, my my brother's keeper, we're lying. We do too know where they're at. They're living right across the street from us. Or we see them at our kids' ball games because their kids and our kids play on the same team. We see them all over the place. We know where they are. But we're lying to ourselves and to God because of what? A lack of concern. Am I my brother's keeper? When it comes to salvation issues, absolutely. It is our responsibility and our privilege to share the good news of Jesus with those around us. What a tragedy the scriptures lay out for us today. Not only the first murder, but it was the very first time that any man made in the image of God had died. But praise be to God through his son's sacrifice, death has been defeated and through his resurrection the day will come when death will be overcome and he can raise our bodies from the grave when he returns, but only if we do what is right and live by faith as Abel did. That's the message, it's decision time this morning. Don't sit there this morning thinking, God can never forgive me for what I've done. He could have forgiven Cain. And he gave Cain the opportunity to repent and Cain refused. Don't be like that. Don't take the way of Cain. Repent, do what God says to do. Obey the gospel, accept Christ as Lord and Savior. And all will be well. And God's testimony about you will be, there's a faithful one. If you need to make a decision for Christ today, you can meet me down front as we stand, as we sing.